We welcome you to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled Standing Accused and it comes from Hosea 4. Before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Christian radio is not free before the first song is ever played. There's towel rental fees, there's royalties, and so forth. And we need people like you to help support us with your tax-deductible gift. By making a charitable contribution to Word Talk Inc., you're helping spread the good news to all those that listen to us in this area and those who follow us on the Internet. So won't you help us? You can do that by calling us at 601 483-8648, and there they can take your credit card information over the phone safely and securely. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now this week, we pick back up in our study of Hosea. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at Hosea 1, and then last week, Hosea 2 and 3. If you remember, Hosea is a minor prophet. Now the minor prophets has nothing to do with their importance, but it has to do with the size of the book that they've written. If you remember, I told you that the theme of this book in Hosea is tough love, or God's relentless love for us, how he chases after us, through tough love. And that's what he shows the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. He shows tough love. And as we study this book, we see that God is allowing the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, to suffer the consequences of their decision. And that is really tough love. Tough love is really made of two parts. One is that relentless love that we talked about, but also it's part of allowing people to suffer the consequences. And that's the part we struggle with the most. We want to jump in and help people out. But God allows the nation of Israel to suffer the consequences from the decisions that they've made. For a quick review, for those of you that missed Lessons 1 2, I ask you to go back to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces. www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class, no spaces with Radio Bible Class. And there you can listen to them. But for a quick review, last week we looked at Gomer and how she had left Hosea, how she had moved out. If you remember when they got married, God told him to go marry a prostitute. That's Gomer. And at first, she leaves prostitution, at least that's what a lot of commentators say, and she bore him a son. And that's the reason why they say she left prostitution for a while. But then she has two more children out of wedlock through prostitution, and that shows she went right back into it. But then in chapter 3, last week, we saw that she had gone as far to sell herself into slavery. Even though Gomer had gone into prostitution and left him, Hosea never stopped loving her, and the further she got away, the more his heart broke, and we saw that in uh, chapter 2, what he wrote, and now we see similarity to God's love for us. Even when we run from him, even when we go into the sin willfully, when we make decisions that aren't good for us because we are satisfying the flesh instead of the spirit, God still loves us. And that's what I told you last week. No matter how far we run, we're never too far gone. God loves us, and there's nothing we can do to change that. Nothing can separate us from his love. 
And we see that right here in chapter 3 when she's gone as far to go into slavery. And so we finished up with God telling Hosea to go and love her again. A very similar, God chases after us. And that's the picture that we see today that Israel has put their faith in other gods and they are committing spiritual adultery. So God tells Hosea to go back and buy his wife and he does it for 15 shekels. That doesn't seem important, but it is because the average slave sold for 30 shekels. And here he buys his wife back for half that. And you really can't look at this like that's a bargain. He got a deal. It just goes to show you how far she had slipped, how far she was gone. God said she still has value. Go buy her back. And that shows that relentless love, that tough love. All this sets the stage for what we really have for today, and that is that Israel stands accused before God. If you think about a courtroom, the person that is accused of the crime stands before a judge and has to plead guilty or not guilty. And so we're going to start off with some accusations that are before Israel and their sin. So I've got a lot to cover, so let's just jump right in. Let's look at Hosea 4, verses 1 through 3. Hosea 4, verses 1 through 3, and I'm reading from the ESV. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heaven, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. So what you really have is you have this lawsuit, you have this courtroom kind of environment, but in this instant, God is the plaintiff, and Israel is the defendant. So you have God versus Israel, and that's the image that we see right here in the first three verses. Listen to what the prophet Micah wrote in Micah 6, 2. Hear ye mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and your enduring fountains of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. Micah was also a prophet to the northern kingdom, so this isn't just a one-time thing. So this is something that the nation of Israel has heard for quite a while. God sends Hosea as a last chance for Israel, this northern kingdom, and he tells them that, hey, you stand before me in spiritual adultery, yet they will not admit they have sinned. And this is often the problem when people are dealing with the issues in their lives. They will not admit there is a sin. They'll go as far to say that there isn't a problem. I got this under control. I'm just, you know, I can stop this anytime I want. If you've ever worked with recovering alcoholics, one of the first things they tell them is that you have to admit you have a problem. Because a lot of times alcoholics will say, oh, I can stop at any time. I don't have a problem. And until you admit you have a problem, you can't fix that problem. So what you have is you have the Jews that are committing the spiritual adultery with idols and they're saying, we don't have a problem, but you have Micah and you have Hosea that are pointing it out to them and saying, this is what the Lord says. But they refuse to admit that they're doing anything wrong. And until you are willing to admit that you are wrong, you can't repent. So this is a basic spiritual principle. Until people feel the guilt of conviction, they can't enjoy the glory of conversion. 
That's good. Almost a tweetable moment, so I'll say it again. Until people feel the guilt of conviction, they can't enjoy the glory of conversion. So look back with me at verse 1. And he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. So God charges Israel with unfaithfulness. And when we find unfaithfulness, when there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land, each of these three are all connected. When people forsake the knowledge of God, soon truth and mercy are gone too. Trust must be rooted in something more than personal opinion. And mercy means going beyond self-interest. So God has brought multiple prophets and warned Israel about their spiritual adultery. And now Hosea is the last one. He's the last chance they have before they go into exile. God also does this for us. He will put people in our path as we're making the wrong decisions, as we're headed down that path. There are people that are in our lives that will come to you and say, hey, I don't like where you're going. This is not good. Now, a lot of times we're like that person. We say, oh, it's no big deal. I can handle this. And we don't listen to them. And that's what the nation of Israel had done. They, they weren't listening to the prophets. But God will send people and put them in our path to warn us just like he's done with Hosea. The sad thing is, by the time Hosea came along, we see that there's no truth, there's no mercy, and no knowledge of God in the land. And that's the long-term impact over slowly getting further and further from God. Go back to verse 1 with me again, and three things I want you to see. There's no faithfulness, there's no steadfast love, and there's no knowledge of God in the land. That steadfast love, let's look at that for a second. Steadfast love is a love that sticks. And that's hard to find today. People want love and they get together and they have this so-called love. But soon as times get hard, they split up and they go their separate ways. But here we're seeing a steadfast love. And that is to be a love like God that is there in good and bad. If you married, you repeated a vow that said that you promised to be faithful and true to your husband or your wife. To take them in sickness or in health, in poverty or wealth, till death do us part. And so just like that, we make that vow. We, that is a steadfastness that we have a part of the marriage. And that's the same thing God has for us. He is there in sickness or in health. He's there in poverty or wealth. He's there for us when we turn and we run from him. And we're to be the same. We're supposed to be with him. We're to be faithful and true. We're to be steadfast and faithful. And it says there was no knowledge of God in the land. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. But because there's no fear of the Lord, listen to what it says. It says that there was lying, there was swearing, there was murder, there was stealing, there was committing adultery, and there was bloodshed. So listen to what Jeremiah 4.22 says, For my people are foolish, they know me not, they are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil, but how to do good they know not. So again, we see right here that they did not know the knowledge of God, and so therefore they were stupid, and they did things. They knew how to do evil well, and that's the same way it is in our society today. People have left the truth of the word of God, and now we see it across our land. We see sin rampant. 
And this is what we see when people walk in the path of unfaithfulness, just like Israel has done, and that's what Hosea is saying. But even America, as we walk in unfaithfulness, these are the results and the sin that we see. But when we walk in a path of faithfulness, then we, we don't see these sins. I like to watch Nat Geo, and an image that I saw that really spoke to me was there was a herd of antelope out there, and the lions were coming to attack, to have their meal. And you notice they didn't jump after the whole herd. They went after those that were on the fringe of the herd. And when we are walking in faithfulness in the herd with God, close to him, we are in safety. But it's when we allow ourselves to get to the edge, when we get to the fringe, that's when we open ourselves up for stronger attacks from the devil. So when we walk in faithfulness, we avoid things like swearing and lying and stealing and adultery. Basically, there was no restraint in all of Israel. Look at verse 3 with me. Therefore the land mourns, and all that dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven and even the fish of the sea are taken away. And after verse 3, Hosea really starts getting to the problem in verses 4 through 8. He shows the corrupt and the ineffective leadership of the priest. Look with me at verses 4 through 8. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge, and I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. So Hosea doesn't say that really it's the people, even though there's a problem there. We'll get to that in a minute. He's not even saying it's Jeroboam to their king. He's saying it's the priest and their leadership. Now he's talking to the priests of the northern kingdom. And why do I make that distinction? Because there were priests in the southern kingdom. Matter of fact, everyone was supposed to go to Judah and they were to go and worship in the temple. And that's where the Levitical priests were. But when Jeroboam I led the separation between the two countries, the northern and the southern kingdom, all the priests in the northern kingdom left the country and went down to Judah. And so what did he do? He just assigned people to be priests in his new temple that he built in Dan. And these people did not have the proper training. So roughly what he got was people that were looking for a cushy job that the king was going to pay for. Now this happened 200 years ago, remember, in Jeroboam 1. So over 200 years, they have led the people off track. And now he's calling out these priests and saying that you have led them the wrong way. And this is so applicable today. Not all churches are the same, and I'm not going to bash a particular one or what denomination. What I am going to tell you, if they do not teach the Word of God, if they do not teach the Bible, then they are leading you astray. And that's exactly what happened here. You had priests that were in leadership that didn't know God. They didn't know the Word. They didn't know what, how to teach. All the Levitical priests had left. So just the same way today, there are churches, there are pastors that don't teach the Word of God. They teach stuff that tickle the ear that men want to hear. And as so goes the spiritual leadership, so goes the church. And as goes the church, goes morality. And as morality goes, 
so goes the nation. And I think if you look at that today, it is so true where America is. We have so many people that say they know God. We have so many preachers that say they are teaching the Word of God, yet they're not teaching the whole truth. And over time, we have seen people that want to tickle the ears. As people of God, we are salt and light. And when we are corrupt, we will make society corrupt. Look at verse 6 with me. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Now, if you look at that word knowledge in the Hebrew, because English doesn't really do us justice here. You're thinking of head knowledge. But what the, what the Hebrew word here talks about an intimate relationship, the same relationship a man and a wife have when they're married. So what he's talking about is a personal knowledge of God. And what that shows there is a lot of people in the world today that have a lot of head knowledge, but they have no personal relationship with God. And that's what God is seeking for today. If one thing you comes out of this, God wants an intimate relationship with you. It's not just about reading the Bible, even though that's good. It's not just about praying, even though that's good. It's about having a daily relationship with the Father, a living God, the one true God. So it's important that we have a knowledge of God's Word, but it's also important that we have a personal relationship or we have this intimate knowledge that he writes about right here. When we studied the book of James, we saw that knowledge is only useful when we put it into application. Let me give you an example. If you have a muscle and you do not use it, guess what? It doesn't matter if you know how to make that muscle strong. It doesn't matter if you know how to eat the right foods. Until you start working that muscle, that muscle will not grow. And so we've got to apply the Word of God and live it out. And that's the two parts that we need in having a true knowledge of God. We need to know the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. But then we also need to live it out and we need to work it out. And if you want to talk about being faithful, faithfulness is putting the Word of God in you and then living it out before the world. That's being faithful. Now look what he says in verses 9 and 10. And it shall be like people like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish. Whoredom, wine, and new wine, which they take away from my understanding. So right here, we start seeing the judgment that is promised to them. What he's saying here is that when we go down this path of unfaithfulness with a lack of knowledge, not only are we separated from God, but we also start to suffer the consequences. So what God is teaching us here is we go down this path of unfaithfulness, we will never be satisfied. Now we will cherish the things that we want, but we'll want more and more of it. We will want more whoredom. We will want more wine, but we will never be satisfied. Now look back with me also at verse 10 and 11, and, he, and I'll finish it up. It says, they shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom wine and new wine, which they take away from my understanding. What he's saying here is that Israel's idolatry was like the adultery against the Lord and every sacrifice made to these pagan gods was like an act of adultery right before his eyes. He's painting a picture here that the Lord is like a faithful and good husband and that his people are adulterous. And adultery is never excusable. He goes on in verse 12 to say, My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their 
walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. And so it's interesting that he says that you inquire of a piece of wood. It'd be like me going out to the woodshed for me to grab wood to put in the fire and start praying to that wood. Now, again, this was a more civilized society, so they took wood and they took metal objects and they made them in the image of a god. But really, that's what they were doing. They were praying to this piece of wood just like it was in a wood pile. I know what you're saying, Tim, Tim, hold on. I don't do that. I don't worship wooden idols. I don't worship golden idols. But we still have our idols. We still have things that we put our faith in besides God. And that is spiritual adultery. When you put your faith in anything but God, that's spiritual adultery. So the question I need to ask you today is, where do you put your trust? Where is your faith? Is it in money? Is it in your job? Is it in your kids and your family? Where is your faith? And that is spiritual adultery if it's not in God. I heard a pastor say, what is an idol? An idol is something that we worship. And again, you're going to say, Tim, I don't worship idols. But if you look at that word worship, what it really means is what do we put worth to? And that's why I'm saying, what do you put worth in? What is worthy to you? So when we worship God, it's showing that we put worth in God and that we put him first above anything else. If you want to know where your idols are, where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money and what you think about most? If you take away all the expenses of basic expenses like your house and food and so forth, what else are you spending your money on? That would be an idol. Where are you spending all your extra time? And what do you think about most? Those are the things that can be idols in your life. I'm about to run out of time, so I want to move on. The next thing he shows us is in verse 15 that he gives a warning to Judah. And what does he say? Judah, do not follow Israel's sinful ways. Look with me at Hosea 4.15. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor up to Bethhaven, or swear not as the Lord lives. For 14 verses, he's been talking to northern Israel, and now he turns and he talks to Judah. He tells them not to chase after these idols and not to go to Gilgal or Bethhaven. And why is that important? Well, first of all, Gilgal and Bethhaven were centers of idolatry. But Beth-Avon, if you try to go look that up, you won't find it because it's Bethel. But he changes the name of Bethel to Beth-Avon because Beth-Avon means house of demons and Bethel meant house of God. And so he's telling them, do not go to Gilgal and do not go to Beth-Avon because of their idolatry. He's telling Judah, don't go here because you won't find God there. You'll only find their idols. And what we can learn from this is when we get too close to sinful practices, they rub off on us. We can be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 15. And we have good intentions and we should go witness to the world, but we should not be a part of the world. God has called us to be separate from the world. And when we get too close, when we associate, when we make our inner circle a part of the world, then it starts to rub off on us, infiltrate us, and we start uh, getting further from God. So this is a warning to Judah, and it can be a warning to us. We need to wake up and be careful that we do not go into sinful practices. And look how he finishes up in verses 16 through 19. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. 
Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb and a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. So he says Israel is stubborn like a calf. If you understand, cattle feed safely out in the open range because they're not easy prey for most predators. But a lamb in open country that strayed from the herd, that has strayed from the shepherd, is now vulnerable. And Hosea's point is really simple. If you act like a stubborn cow, don't expect to be protected like an obedient sheep. And this is where we see the tough love from God. He says that Israel is a stubborn heifer and that he's going to send a whirlwind of his judgment to wipe this kingdom away. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that I don't want God to leave me alone because I need his protection. I need his protection against spiritual enemies. And Satan wants to sift us just like he wanted to do Peter back in Luke 22. But Jesus didn't want to leave Peter alone for the tax, so he prayed for Peter and they were victorious. So let me close with this final thought. We don't want God to leave us alone because we need him to protect us against ourselves. Left to ourselves with our own sinful hearts, we will surely drift away from the Lord. Oh, we want God to be there with us. We don't want to be alone because a lot of times God covers us and he protects us, even our lack of wisdom and in our poor decisions. But a part of that tough love, like we see here, is sometimes he has to pull himself away and let them suffer the consequences. Let us suffer those consequences. He will leave us alone and he will expose our shame, just like it says right here. My question for you today, are you willing to admit that you have a problem, that you have a sin? God is knocking on someone's heart out there and he's saying, come back to me. I don't want to leave you alone. I don't want to make you feel the shame. I don't want to make you feel alone. I don't want to put you in that wilderness. He's knocking. Will you turn back to him? Are you willing to accept your guilt? Are you willing to admit you have a problem? And that's where a lot of people fall short. They don't want to admit they have a problem. They really don't want to acknowledge that they've done something wrong. But until we get to that point, a true recovery really can't happen. And God is knocking today. He's saying, admit, I'm here for you. I love you. And I'm chasing after you. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and Sometimes your word is tough on us. It's a slap in the face. It's to wake us up. And we see how Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, had turned from you. Lord, how they had slowly gone down that path astray. Lord, how they had turned to the world. How there was lying and adultery, spiritual idolatry. They were turning to the world as their savior. They were putting all their trust in the world. Right now, Lord, there's someone listening today. I know it. I can feel it in my heart that you're knocking on their door, that they have turned back to the world. They've known you before, but they have turned to the world. And you're knocking on their heart today, and you're saying, turn back to me. Give back that idol to the world and let me be your God. Put your trust in me. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you at all. They have no idea what I'm talking about, but you're knocking on their heart saying, today is today that I want to be your Savior. I came and I died on the cross. I overcame the grave. I rose again. And I was the perfect sacrifice for your sin. If you believe in me, if you will ask me to be Lord of your life, 
I will do that. I will make you my child. I will bring you back into the fold. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you for the blessings for those that listen that are faithful. We're going to give you all the honor and glory. It's in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.